we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies, and your host. Today we're going to be talking again with Andrew Arthur here at the center. His friends call him Art. Apparently his mother's the only one who calls him Andrew. We're going to be talking to Art about the issue of public opinion polling on immigration because this is something he's written a whole series of posts on. It's pretty consequential given that policy is often ends up being shaped to some degree by the public opinion polling, as I think we probably saw recently with the Del Rio situation with all the Haitians parked under the bridge. It was only when Fox News's drone cameras broadcast photographs of the thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants who had created a kind of beachhead on the U.S. side of the river that the political consequences of it became pretty hard for the White House to ignore, and then they responded and changed policy. The same issue, but sort of more broadly, what is the public perception among different groups in the public of the president's performance on immigration is something we're going to talk about with Art today. Art, thanks for coming on. Let's see, where would we start? I mean, how about before the other problems the administration has been facing, Afghanistan, inflation, what have you, was the president already kind of in trouble with the public on immigration? Yeah, and Mark, it's actually important to go back even before the Biden administration to take a look at the issue of immigration. 538, the polling outfit, stated in its postmortem of the 2016 election that immigration was the number one issue that got Donald Trump elected. It was what pushed him through the primaries and, you know, then gave him the opportunity to buy in the general election against former First Lady and Secretary of State and Senator Hillary Clinton. So immigration is an important issue with the American people. Even under the Trump administration, immigration was still a hot-button issue, and that was one of those things that was heightened by the COVID pandemic. In a March 5, 2020 poll done by the University of Maryland and the Washington Post, 65% of all respondents stated that they wanted to block almost all immigration to the United States in response to the pandemic. Of course, President Trump on January the 30th, 2020, had blocked immigration from China, and that was somewhat controversial. Then candidate Joe Biden gave a rather incoherent response to that. That it was hysterical and xenophobic and hysterically xenophobic, I think, if I remember the words correctly. Yeah, exactly. And he derided Trump's policies, but he ended up walking that back shortly thereafter, largely because there was concern at the time about the COVID pandemic, which at that time was identified as coming out of the city of Wuhan in the People's Republic of China. 
Even after Biden became president, however, his immigration policies were not very popular. In a February poll that was done by Morning Consult, just 47% of respondents approved of his immigration policies, and that included 36% of independents. So, and when was that now? That was in February. Oh, so he had just been sworn in, basically. He had just yeah. been sworn in. So nobody voted for him, basically, for immigration, in other words. this It's not what won him the election. No, and, you know, that's a very important point. Probably one of the biggest errors that Donald Trump made during the 2020 election was not making immigration an issue. Immigration as an issue is not something that featured prominently in President Trump's campaign ads. And although the Biden administration had put up an entire web page, a rather lengthy one that discussed what he would do as president, most of those things he's done. And even though then Vice President and candidate Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders, independent socialist out of Vermont, had issued a lengthy white paper that talked about negating immigration enforcement in the United States, neither of those documents played a major role in the campaign. And candidate Biden never talked about it either. I mean, it wasn't in any speeches. Immigration only barely came up in one of the debates and then not very substantively. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, not just for candidate Biden, but for people like Better O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg, the then mayor of South Bend, Indiana, they would occasionally hold smaller appearances in which they would discuss immigration. And they, you know, spoke about Trump's proposals in negative terms. But, you know, neither Buttigieg nor uh, O'Rourke became the nominee. And again, Biden would speak about it from time to time in smaller appearances, but, you know, never talked about it a lot on the campaign trail. During the last presidential debate at the end of October, at the end of that second presidential and last debate in October, it did come up, but the question was raised with respect to... The family separation issue, Family right? separation. Right. I think it was 500 36, uh, 545 children who had been separated from their parents uh, during the Trump administration, and the parents could not be located. I explained in real time that the reason the parents probably couldn't be located was because they had been removed from the United States and did not want to be reunited with their children back home. They wanted their children to continue to be here in the United States. But it was a major issue at the end of the campaign, and that was the question that Kirsten Welker from NBC News had actually posed to Trump. The response to that was actually to Biden, and it asked about his role in the Obama-Biden administration. Obama had been called deporter-in-chief, largely for reasons that you're aware of. Not entirely, honestly or accurately, but yes. But the point is, President Trump's response was sort of the, who built the cages, Joe? In other words, he wasn't engaging substantively. All of this is a way of saying that during the campaign, there really wasn't a substantive engagement on the immigration issue. And so the way I sort of see it is that the public dissatisfaction with Biden's immigration stance predated his actually doing any of those things. It's just that it didn't figure in politically into the result. And so once he started doing things, the kind of pre-existing dislike for a lot of those policies just manifested itself. 
Yeah, there wasn't a lot of polling during the campaign on immigration. And again, Biden wasn't asked about it, but he hasn't done anything that he didn't say that he was going to do on the campaign. It just turns out that from the beginning, Biden's proposals, most of which uh, were reversals of successful Trump era policies at the border and in the interior, were never that popular to begin with. In a sense, Biden is promises made, promises kept. I mean, he said what he was going to do and he's been doing it. And now we're seeing what the public actually thinks about that, which is not much. That's correct. And, you know, we've actually seen a lot of ebb and flow throughout the Biden administration, you know, as it relates to immigration. But if anything, Biden's immigration policies have largely gotten worse as time goes on in the minds of poll respondents and the electorate. So in April of 2014, following pictures that had come out from the border of large numbers of immigrant families and immigrant children packed into tight detention centers, a Quinnipiac poll showed 55% disapproval of Biden's handling at the border. Well, this is Obama's handling of the border at that point, right? 2014, you said? No, this was April 14th of 2021. Oh, I see. I yeah, you'd said 2014. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 55% disapproval, only 29% approval. An April 25th NBC News poll, which showed that Biden still had 53% approval. Overall. Overall showed just 33% approval of his handling at the border as opposed to 59% who disapproved. Yeah, and that's kind of my point, is that until the more recent fiascos that the administration has faced, the president was actually above water. In other words, he had more favorable than unfavorable among voters, except on the one issue of immigration. Yeah, during the early days of the Biden administration, he was almost definitely buoyed by his handling of COVID, the COVID response. But as COVID receded, we started to see immigration bubble more to the top amongst concerns. May 13th poll that was conducted by Ipsos found that immigration was the second biggest problem facing Americans, just behind jobs and the economy. That was a period of time when, you know, vaccinations had become widespread the Delta variant really hadn't entered the United States. And those economic concerns were bubbling up and immigration was bubbling up. Even though DHS had engaged in a large-scale public relations campaign toward the end of March to show the same facilities that had previously been crowded with children and families now largely empty and just, you know, kids running around and playing in the hallways. Well, I remember that before and after pictures kind of of crowded and then the same rooms with just half a dozen people in them or something. Yeah, that's correct. And again, you know, to some degree that's, you know, public interest stuff, but it's very difficult to look at those pictures and not deem them propaganda. South Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar, you know, had talked about concerns that they were simply moving the children from one facility to another. They were moving them from DHS overcrowded shelters to HHS overcrowded shelters from which no pictures emerged. But the issue really did drop. And, you know, from that point forward until we've seen the more recent pictures from the border, we really haven't seen a whole lot going on there. But now that we have seen those recent pictures, we've definitely seen Biden's uh, approval take a hit also in conjunction with Afghanistan, also in conjunction with the Biden administration's response to COVID. And the economy as well, inflation. Right. 
inflation and a lack of jobs. Right. And a lack of people doing jobs. So, you know, it's a two-edged sword for them. But even then, Biden's approval ratings, even after, you know, that initial border crisis had passed, were never high on immigration. A June 27th poll that was conducted by the Washington Post and NBC News found 51% disapproval of Biden's immigration policies, only 33% approved. And that's been pretty steady. Biden's approval ratings as it relates to immigration have been in the 30s, from the low 30s to the higher 30s, but they've been consistently in the 30s. And a lot of that has to do with the partisan skew of the polling itself. So in a July 23rd to 24th poll that was done by ABC News and Ipsos, just 37% approved, 61% disapproved of Biden's border and immigration policies, and just 34% of independents approved. Now, his numbers with Republicans on immigration have always been low. And they've been high with Democrats. And so, in other words, it's almost a partisan response. Absolutely. And it's the independents that are sort of, in a sense, almost like the barometer. Yeah. I mean, they truly are the, the proper gauge. And you bring up independence as a barometer, it's important to note why there's such an important barometer. Independents are swing voters, as we refer to them. They're not necessarily tied to one party or another. And in midterm elections, when there is no party candidate at the top of the ticket, they become crucial in determining who's going to control the House and who's going to control the Senate. Right now, Republicans are down about seven seats in the House of Representatives out of 435, and the Senate is split 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. Now, a big part of the reason why it's split is because of two special elections that were held in Georgia well after the election and after the events of January the 6th. So Democrats managed to capture both of those seats. But it's important to note, Georgia, you know, over the last 20 years has been a solidly Republican voting state. And, you know, that senatorial election in January of 2021 was the exception. Raphael Warnock, who sits in one of those two seats, is up for re-election in 2022. There are a lot of other Democrats who sit in purple states, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire and Mark Kelly of Arizona. Immigration doesn't really affect New Hampshire. It is a border state, but it's still not very important. Well, yeah, it's, it's one state separated from a border state. Uh, it is on the ocean. No, no, it has a tiny little bit of a border with uh, Quebec. Oh, does it? Yeah, a tiny no. little bit way up by Dixville Notch or whatever it is up there. So Maggie Hassan won her last election by 0.1%. And she's facing a very tough re-election campaign this time around. Chris Sununu, who is John Sununu's son, very popular political family in New Hampshire, is the governor, and he's a very popular governor. And polling shows that Sununu has about a five to six point advantage over Hassan if he runs. So anything that's going to move the needle, even a little bit, even a little right. bit against yeah. Hassan, is you know something that's going to potentially cost Democrats control of the U.S. Senate, which in my mind is one of the reasons why we see leadership in the Senate, Democratic leadership in the Senate, pushing so hard to pass so many bills right now. Immigration is plainly a big part of that. Immigration is one of those issues that's pulling Biden down. 
And honestly, uh, Mark, I think the bigger issue is when people think about immigration, all they think about is the border. They don't even think about the interior of the United States. Right. But the Biden administration has significantly restricted the ability of ICE to arrest aliens, and in particular criminal aliens, in the United States. That really hasn't gotten a whole lot of press. Nick Miroff over at the Washington Post has written a little bit about this. But, you know, with respect to the major networks, we just don't see much on that. But that's the kind of thing that can blow up all at once. In other words, nobody pays attention until they start paying attention because somebody is uh, killed, for instance, by a criminal alien who was released because of sanctuary policies or what have you. In other words, that's an issue that can blow up overnight if the administration, as it is now, is allowing the potential for that kind of thing to spread. Yeah, you know, that's an important issue because when it comes to the crimes that are committed by criminal aliens, especially aliens who are legally present in the United States, occasionally, as we saw in the Molly Tibbetts case, it becomes a, you know, nationwide issue. But by and large, those are local issues. But in a midterm election, all issues are local. Are local issues, exactly. So, you know, if there were to be some victim of the Biden administration's non-enforcement policies in one of those crucial swing states in Pennsylvania, potentially in Maryland, which you don't normally think of as a big Republican get, but they do have a very popular Republican governor who's term limited, conveniently just in time to run against incumbent Senator Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat of Maryland, it could be an issue. Sure. President Biden, when he was running, specifically said that being convicted for drunk driving was not enough of a reason to deport an illegal immigrant, not even a legal immigrant, but an illegal immigrant who's convicted of drunk driving should not be deported. And often what you'll see when there is victimization like that, that has political consequences, it will be an illegal immigrant driving drunk after multiple convictions, and then finally ends up killing someone, vehicular homicide. And that actually has a lot of political consequences. Absolutely. Because, you know, drunk driving is one of those interesting crimes in the United States. It's not a ground of removability. But when there are, you know, innocent victims who are impacted by drunk driving, public outcry is huge. But I mean, an illegal immigrant is removable at all times. And often that's the issue is that it's not so much a green card holder who is not removable simply because he's convicted of drunk driving. It's somebody who was removable before they stepped into the car because they're illegal immigrants but who were let off the hook repeatedly and then finally kill someone. Yeah, and that's a crucial point because under the policies that the Biden administration has issued with respect to ICE enforcement, drunk drivers are off limits. Right. So if a drunk driver gets picked up in, you know, New Hampshire, ICE doesn't put a detainer on that person, they're released, and then they go out and, you know, kill someone or worse, kill multiple people, eventually that fact is going to come to the fore and the people are going to ask why that person wasn't removed from the United States. That's really when those policies come unraveled. Exactly. To get back specifically to the public opinion issue, one of the polls you had mentioned before we started taping was asking people, Republicans versus Democrats, how important they thought the issue was. And it was, there was something like 2% of Democrats said that it was high saliency issue for them. I forget the exact words. Yeah, it was 2% considered it to be an important problem. And many more Republicans. My point is that 
even if most Democrats support the kind of policies that Biden is implementing, if it's not that important to them, but it is very important to Republican voters, it still matters regardless of what the overall kind of approval, disapproval numbers are. In other words, saliency, intensity matters in political results. Yeah, and I make what seems to be a almost overly simplistic statement. You win elections two ways. You get your voters to show up for the poll and you get, you know, your opponent's voters not to show up for the poll. It's kind of like the coach being interviewed at the football game. Well, you know, our goal is going to be to get more scores and to stop the uh, other team from scoring points. And that's the perfect way to, you know, to look at it because it really is like a football game. And, you know, this is one of those issues that we've seen in the past. We saw it in 2016 that did drive voters to the polls. Again, probably the biggest mistake that Donald Trump made was not talking about how successful his border policies had been. In the 2020 campaign. In the 2020 campaign. And before we started taping, I, I think you made the point that Trump was the victim of his own success as it related to immigration because, you know, even before COVID, we had seen months and months of declines at the border, not quite historically low declines, but still pretty close to historically low declines because of the policies that he'd implemented, such as the Migrant Protection Protocols, also known as MPP, but better known as Remain in Mexico. Under Remain in Mexico, more than 60,000 illegal migrants were sent back across the border to Mexico to await the removal hearings. And in an October 2019 assessment... Just to make clear, sent back across the border to Mexico rather than just released into the United States. Absolutely. And thank you for clarifying that. Uh, In October 2019 assessment by DHS found that it was very effective. It actually sped up asylum hearings, you know, allowed people who had good asylum claims, and there weren't many in that particular cohort, to get into the United States quickly. But more importantly, it dissuaded people who didn't have asylum claims from attempting to enter to begin with. They couldn't make bad asylum claims or non-meritorious asylum claims because they weren't going to get released here anyway. That really did dissuade a lot of people from coming. And that is probably the biggest issue that has led to the wave of illegal immigration that we've seen in the United States today. But under Trump, the policy you're describing, I mean, essentially the point you were making is that it worked so well that immigration just wasn't on regular voters' radars as much, partly because COVID was there crowding everything else out, obviously, and the economic consequences of the lockdown and all the rest of it. But President Trump really was kind of a victim of his own success. Now, he could have compensated for that by focusing on the issue more during the campaign. He didn't do that. But you're right. And so, in a sense, that didn't result in motivating. I mean, it presumably, I mean, he still got 10 million more votes than he had before, but perhaps more of his supporters could have been motivated had he identified that issue. But it seems to me the disparity on the immigration issue, as far as intensity goes, really is telling because if only 2% of Democrats identify it as an important national issue, and for Republicans, it's a higher, I mean, I don't, do you remember the number offhand? Whatever it was, I remember reading it, but it was significantly higher. Yeah, I think it was 74%. Among Republicans. Among Republicans. Wow. So, I mean, that's an enormous gap. And so even if 100% of Democrats think that Biden walks on water with regard to immigration, 
if it's just not that important to them, it's not going to be a motivating issue in the same way. Whereas if three quarters of Republicans view it an important issue, you're going to have a much larger number of people willing to crawl over broken glass to cast a vote on that issue. And yeah, you know, enthusiasm and motivation are absolutely key in midterm elections. Again, there is no national candidate at the top of the uh, ticket. There is no solid reason. All politics is local. But, you know, when you have a national election, there are certain national issues that people will show up to vote on with respect to the candidate. When it comes to midterm elections, intensity is always lower. Turnout is always lower. So whoever has the most momentum generally wins. And an issue that a lot of Republicans are concerned about, they're probably going to show up to vote on the border. The uh, most recent piece you did, it was a blog post, our website, cis.org. You can see all of our publications there if you want. You click on blog and then arts posts are there in line. was on a uh, Reuters Ipsos poll that uh, just recently we had, uh, you had written about. What did that tell you? Was it telling you anything different from what you'd already seen? It did. What it told me was that as the border issue becomes bigger, more intensity is directed at the border and, you know, immigration becomes a bigger issue. In the age of COVID, things like jobs, the economy, and healthcare are major concerns. But, you know, even then, each of those things touches on immigration. I don't think that that's a point that most voters get. But when you have a large number of people who are entering the United States, especially unskilled workers, then you start to flood the labor market. Wages aren't allowed to naturally rise. That's the whole idea behind unions is that you limit the number of workers in order to improve the ability of the workers that you have to bargain for higher wages and better working conditions. It's definitely true with respect to health care. You know, health care and the border is one of those things that I think Republicans really haven't talked about as much as I would have expected them to. Recent CDC Title 42 orders that have come out that talk about, you know, expulsions at the border admit that CBP isn't actually COVID testing migrants before they're released into the United States. That's all left up to non-governmental organizations. So at the same time that you're telling Americans that they need to, you know, take drastic steps in order to, you know, stem the tide of COVID, we see the Biden administration, on the other hand, simply releasing people, some of whom may be COVID positive, into the United States without vaccinations and without testing. And that's the kind of thing that really can get people, I mean, people understand that. Their kids are wearing masks at school, which is, my personal opinion, is completely ridiculous. There's no justification for it. Nobody likes that. And then they see on TV, you know, celebrities going to swanky events where only the servants have to wear masks and the celebrities don't. And then you have the kind of thing you're talking about where illegal immigrants, for instance, the recent beachhead of Haitian and other illegal immigrants in Del Rio, there was no masks involved there. You know, people were not being tested, vaccinated, whatever the heck it is. That gets people. I mean, people understand that in a direct way, in the way that, you know, Saudi Arabia increasing oil output is something that's completely theoretical for most people. That's not. And so, I mean, that I think is a vulnerability that you're going to see in polling. I don't know that anybody's asked that, 
Probably not. But it's the kind of thing that would be a 90% issue. You know, do you think illegal immigrants should be COVID tested before they're paroled into the United States? Nobody's going to say no, practically. And yet we're not doing it. We're sort of relying on these nonprofit groups, some of them living off of government contracts, to do, you know, on the border areas of Texas, to do testing. Presumably, most of them do it most of the time and, you know, get people to get vaccinated. But there was a, I think you wrote about the incident several, maybe it was a couple months ago, where some people had tested positive, some Central American illegal immigrants, and the nonprofit group that was, whatever it was, was doing it, put them up in a motel as quarantine. But there's no police, there's no enforcement, they can just leave, and the bunch of them did just leave. They went to the Whataburger down the street and were sneezing all over the place. So even the CBP, the Border Patrol, doesn't have protocols in place or the ability to test everybody and quarantine those who test positive. But even the kind of workaround they're relying on, relying on these nonprofit groups, doesn't work very well either. No, it doesn't. And, you know, that's a significant point. In the border communities in Texas in which those individuals were released down in the Rio Grande Valley, local officials weren't even told that those people were there. And again, we have three Democrats who are sitting in Texas districts that are vulnerable in the upcoming election. And they know they're vulnerable and, they and they're know screaming that. about it. Right. One of them, Philemon Vela, who represents the Brownsville area, isn't even running for re-election. To get back to the point about midterm elections, a lot of these things aren't going to be talked about in the national media. People aren't going to be aware of them. But when you start to pump that money into campaigns, it's very easy to, you know, show pictures like the ones in Del Rio, Texas, of, you know, 12,000 migrants who are being housed under a bridge after walking across the Rio Grande River and put that up there and tie that issue to Biden and tie it to a Democratic opponent. So even if the press doesn't talk about it that much, those pictures will come out. A lot of these I mean, this is just polling based on people's general impressions. Right. This is even before you've started political campaigns when you, you know, and especially now you can have, you know, Facebook ads and, you know, YouTube ads that cost nothing. You don't have to buy expensive airtime in Cincinnati, Ohio to cover right. a two-state area. You could actually blow this up privately and that stuff gets shared. And frankly, it's not that hard in the sense that, for instance, this Del Rio thing, this is not something you can hide. I mean, this is the only reason this happened is because Fox hired a drone team with cameras to show the stuff on TV. That's something that has leached through the even people who don't pay attention to politics. Everybody gets something like that is going on. And the interesting thing in Del Rio is, and you, you were down there, what was it, last month or the month before? And then you were down there earlier this year as well, I think. The Democratic mayor in Del Rio has been crying out for help long before this most recent Haitian beachhead thing. He's done, um, I think he did some video that kind of, I don't he know. Did a it, yeah, video he did a YouTube video back in February. Right. So in February, there were a series of winter storms that swept through right. Texas and power was knocked out and, you know, supply lines uh, were cut. Trucks couldn't get down the highways to deliver things. And at that time, a much smaller population of migrants was at the border. We're now in a situation at the border where CBP doesn't even have the capacity 
to care for the people that it has, let alone detain them. It can't provide them toilets. Right. And even if you're a person who believes that there should be amnesty, even if you're a person who believes we should have a kinder, gentler immigration policy, when you see a mishandling of a policy in that way in which people are actually suffering, you really start to get attention paid by people who might be left of center or far left of center who start to question, can these people do their job? To quote Casey Stengel, can anybody here play this game? Exactly. And that gets to your point about elections, is that the goal is to get more of your people to turn out and fewer of the other side's people to turn out. And so regardless of what people tell pollsters, people who might say vote Democratic it seems to me, are more likely to kind of have their turnout depressed because they don't want to vote for the Republican, but boy, all of this Del Rio stuff and the border and everything, it's really kind of a problem. And so maybe I'll just not vote this time. Yeah. And then the opposite, obviously, for Republicans. Yeah. And again, you know, not voting is a half vote for the other party because it takes one away from your side. So, you know, that's an absolutely crucial issue. It's also important to know with respect to Del Rio, Mark, that the Biden administration hasn't really allowed the press or the public down to the section of the river where those people were coming over. The reason that Bill Malugin over at Fox News, that his reporting has gotten so much attention is because they have drones. Right. And because he took to the river to actually see what was going on when the FAA shut down his drones. And and let's be fair, I mean, our man in Del Rio, Todd Benzman, has been able to get in there to a significant degree because of his pre-existing relationships with a lot of the law enforcement down there. Yeah. And, you know, I had that benefit, too. So I was actually able to go down there. But if the American people saw the suffering that those people are going through, some of them, some of them is, you know, I was riding down the road. Couldn't understand why we wouldn't pick them up and drive them up to uh, the Border Patrol agents who were going to release them. Again, if we could have, I would have. But, you know, there were just so many. And it's an expectation that once you get to the United States, you're going to be put very quickly on a bus to get on a plane to go to your destination. The American people do not, regardless of what their political opinion is or how they view the world, You don't want to see a border that's out of control. Immigration is the border. And right now, the border is bad for Biden. But Biden's fundamental policies have never been popular as they relate to immigration to begin with. So in a sense, maybe in a word, the what the public opinion polling shows us in a political sense might be that the Republicans would be wise to run on the issue. I mean, would that be a fair thing to say? And the Democrats will want it to go away. Well, actually, with advice to both parties, the Republicans would be wise to run on this, especially given popular sentiment, especially given the images that we've seen in the sense that all of this is being hidden from us. Again, the American people don't like to be you know, lied to, and covering up is the worst sort of lie. With respect to Democrats, there's still an opportunity. The election is more than a year away, more than a year away, 13 months plus away. And, you know, they have the opportunity to push back against Biden, especially those members who are in purple districts or red districts where they still have the opportunity. Or even, frankly, as we saw in South Texas, blue district districts down in South Texas, not hugely populous areas, but areas that had not voted Republican since, geez, I don't know, Calvin Coolidge or something like that. And 
that either actually went Republican or there was a significant shift toward the Republicans precisely because the voters there saw a kind of mismatch between or a disconnect between their preferences and what their party was trying to do. So in a sense, basically, like you said, this should be a wake-up call for Democratic candidates and an opportunity for Republican candidates, in a sense. And the information's all out there, and I suspect politicians, most of them know it. If you've gotten elected a few times, that's kind of proof that you have some idea of what people think and what people want. And so we can hope that policy might change to some degree between now and next November, if only because so much of the public is basically raising its hand and saying to the leadership in Congress and the leadership in the administration, we don't like what you're doing, please change course. I'm not hopeful that's going to happen, but we'll see. Thanks for coming on. We will have you on maybe again when there's some other groundbreaking court decision where some judge makes up something off the top of his head or whatever it is, whatever. I guarantee you there's going to be some interesting news coming up and we'll have you on for that in the future. Thanks for coming on, Art. Thank you for having me. For this week's closing commentary, I want to talk about a different kind of opinion, not the broader public opinion on policy questions that Art and I talked about in this week's interview, but rather morale among workers in the federal government who deal with immigration enforcement, people in the Border Patrol and ICE and what have you. There are routinely surveys done of employees in the federal government and you know how they feel about their jobs, what is their morale. I think Government Executive Magazine used to do surveys like this annually. They may still be doing it, I don't know. But the old INS and today ICE and Border Patrol routinely came back with the lowest morale scores among their employees. Uh, they would routinely feel that what they were doing was simply not valued. This is one of the reasons, for instance, President Trump received such support, open support, among people working in the immigration enforcement bureaucracy is because no president before him had the decency of expressing any solidarity or support for his own employees, who this is what they are after all, they're executive branch employees, his own employees who enforce immigration law. It was always somehow, even by presidents of both parties, seen as blaming the people doing immigration enforcement for the existence of immigration laws and regulations that they didn't like, rather than the fact that Congress had passed them or the executive branch had issued regulations creating those rules. The recent hoax about the Border Patrol agents supposedly whipping Haitian migrants is simply piles onto this morale problem for people doing immigration enforcement, people whom we pay through our taxes and whom the president employs in the executive branch to enforce the border and to enforce immigration laws more generally. We are down in El Paso and the area around it this week leading a border tour, and I encountered a Border Patrol officer on horse patrol west of El Paso the other day, and just kind of jokingly from far away, I said, are they still allowing you to ride horses? And he said, uh, so far, so good. But, you know, the action by the administration, the president, the vice president, 
leaders in Congress and others in denouncing supposed whipping by Border Patrol agents of a Haitian illegal alien when it's manifest to anyone who looks at it that that was simply false. I mean, this can only be described as a hoax, and yet the speed with which the people whom Border Patrol agents actually work for, in other words, the president is vice president, they're essentially their bosses, the speed with which they believed this hoax, and to this day, as far as I know, haven't apologized or retracted their comments, really outrageous comments, about Border Patrol officers once it became clear, and everybody now knows that there was no whipping, the whole thing was a lie to begin with, just makes the morale problem, both for Border Patrol and really for anybody who does immigration enforcement, all that much worse. We also met down here in El Paso with a researcher who looks into homeland security issues, and one of the things they did was a survey of morale among Border Patrol officers, and this was even before this fake whipping incident, and it was extraordinarily low, extraordinarily low. And so it really is incumbent on people running the executive branch, as well as congressmen, who are the ones who pass laws, to understand that the federal employees who are tasked with enforcing immigration laws are not the ones making up these rules. They're enforcing the rules. And lawmakers, as well as law executors, the executive branch, the people in charge of it, need to understand that the rank-and-file people riding their Border Patrol horse patrols or deporting criminal aliens and what have you need to be shown some basic respect and acknowledgement that they are doing what they have been paid and hired and told to do. And if members of Congress and leaders of administrations don't like it, it's up to them to change the rules, not to attack and badmouth and, quite honestly, spread lies about the people whose job it is to implement the laws that Congress and the president have enacted. This is Mark Krikorian in El Paso signing off for this week's Parsing Immigration Policy, and I hope you'll join us next week.